so again, my name's Vanessa Hall. Hi, how are you? <laughs> so pardon the really long time for all ages, but this book has always been very important to me, so I wanted to share it with all of you. Um, I don't know how the Lorax made you feel the first time you read it, but when I was a kid, it terrified me. Uh, the Onesler terrified me. The idea of a world all gray with no trees terrified me. But the book also inspired me. It inspired me to want to protect the environment because I, too, wanted to save the barbalutes, the swami swans, the hummingfish, and truffle trees. So in elementary school, I did my bit by, I'd write as light as possible and as small as possible so as to save both pencil lead and paper. But this resulted in teachers writing, can't read, all over my homework. Then as a teenager, the Lorax inspired me to use the shampoo that I used on my hair, also on my body, in order to save soap and to take the quickest showers possible in order to save water. Ultimately, I was both unhygienic and driving my teachers crazy, but in my heart, I knew I was right, even if the end result may have only had a little bit of impact. Obviously, I've been an environmentalist since I was old enough to read. Heading to college, I didn't know quite what I wanted to be, but I wrote down in my James Madison University handbook before my freshman year that the options were social worker, tree hugger, or mad scientist. Little did I know that my professional path would lead me to be all three of these in some form or another, but that's a story for another time. Clearly, there's no one major that covers a combination of these professions, so I integrated government, international affairs, with a ton of environmental courses to get the basics on how to save the world, how to speak for the trees. Essentially, I ended up with an international affairs major and a college education that set me up in the real world to either have affairs internationally, international affairs major, or do secretarial work despite amazingly diverse and interconnected coursework. Unsure of what to do next, I interned for Friends of the Earth after college in London, which revealed that I really needed more education if I truly wanted to speak for the trees and save the world with any sort of effectiveness. This led me to the Duke University Master's in Environmental Management program, where I learned how truly interdependent our web is. Um, because protecting the environment and its resources is directly related to economic, social, and political actions and policy. Thus, I learned to speak for the trees. I learned that to speak for the trees means working with, and sometimes for, onceers, because it's not really the trees versus the thneeds, but rather the universal truth that trees and thneeds both exist and they are connected. By the way, in this, if you hear the word sneed, you can hear it as stuff. Our resources and our end products can and should work in harmony because everyone has needs, which is to say that environmental protection can and should go hand in hand with economic stability or growth and social justice. Duke's taught me some big takeaways through my courses. I'm sorry, this is going to get a little sciencey. The first one's biogeochemistry which is a super fancy way of saying the holistic scientific study of climate change. The science is pretty darn complicated, but here's an example, and again, pardon, it's going to get very sciencey. 
Um, most people are aware that more carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere are expected to cause a hotter climate and changes in the patterns of rainfall. But the problem is, is that there is carbon in both the soil and the ocean, a whole heck of a lot of it. So all of this carbon dioxide that's in the soil and the ocean makes it really hard for us to figure out how our climate is going to change because the changing effect, the, sorry, the changing temperature changes rainfalls. And if environments get hotter because of increasing carbon dioxide, things like decomposition in soil may also increase, which produces even more carbon dioxide in the air than we planned on. The same process occurs through ocean circulation in the oceans as well. All of these things may throw off our predictions on how fast global climate change, global climate is going to change, including how fast sea levels will rise, frequency of droughts, floods, hurricanes, or monsoons, changes in biodiversity, and changes in the amount of resources available for human use, whether it be water, energy, or land. All of the systems in the Earth are connected in ways that create feedback loops that make our average Earth temperatures increase even faster than expected, or maybe not. We don't really know this level of impact because this sort of activity is unprecedented in the history of this planet. More work needs to be done in this arena, obviously. But here's more science that I learned. Hydrogeology. It's about how water travels down gradient through the soil and it brings everything with it from on top of the soil and in the soil, brings it all the way until it reaches your house where you live, the river where you fish, the groundwater or reservoir where you get your drinking water. Failing to dispose of waste properly directly affects our homes, recreation, and health because everything is connected. Enough science, here's some economics. Resource economics and policy, which, by the way, John was my TA, so shh. Our economy is based on supply and demand that everything can be valued, but rarely are things like clean water, a whooping crane, or orange alert days, those are the days where those of us with asthma are supposed to stay in, those days aren't valued often. We know how much it costs to make a car, but how much is an endangered species worth? In resource economics and policy, I learned that there are ways to value the environment, pollution, and even the birds and the bees. Economic theory and tools can be applied to environmental, natural resource, energy, agricultural, and economic developmental problems. So, it is not the economy versus the environment, again, the two are intertwined, or one could say they are connected. And now on to something closer to home, the suburbs. Land use planning was another course where I learned that suburban flight created our traffic problems, and our cul-de-sac kingdoms. When white people fled the cities, they created covenants, fines, homeowners associations, and redlining to keep others, typically non-white people, out. Additionally, they created actual physical barriers to suburban neighborhoods with gates, meandering lanes that seemed to go nowhere, sudden cul-de-sacs, and unwalkable curving streets. All of these are effective to keep those out who, quote unquote, have no business here. Similar to how a moat and drawbridge kept out invading kingdoms long ago. By the way, that was not my opinion. That was land use opinions then. Suburban land use planning, quote unquote, 
moved far from the simple grid system, which is found in most cities and small towns, which made it easy and efficient to go from point A to point B, and also encouraged public transportation and efficient and effective land use. Decades ago, we disconnected the land use from land use planning, and we have been suffering with traffic, pollution, long commutes, and segregated communities ever since. On that note, we'll move on to justice, specifically environmental justice. And I'm sure that you're not going to be surprised that environmental hazards, including land, water, air pollution, affect those who are poor, non-white, disenfranchised, and undereducated much more than the affluent, often white, sometimes overeducated folks. The environmental justice movement said that we needed to end the placement of toxic facilities and dumps near large, poor communities, which is what they did. They would place them there instead of putting them next to the smaller, more affluent communities. And to accomplish this, the environmental justice movement used civil rights tactics of leveraging community structures, especially churches, to organize, protest, and litigate for equity and environmental protection, and also in the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, and policies. Environmental justice problems and solutions are inextricably linked to socioeconomic policies, our demographics, and frankly, racism. Now back to real life. You may wonder why I'm sharing my inspiration from the Lorax and my education from Duke. Um, it's frankly because these concepts, the environmentalism, is really what encompassed my faith before I came here to Akatink. My faith was wholly environmental, to speak for the trees, to save the trees. Um, the Lorax taught me to speak for the voiceless when he came to speak for the trees and the barbaloots. The Lorax also taught me about the interdependent web when he linked the Wunzler's factory pollution to the harming of wildlife. Because of the Lorax, I lived my faith pursuing education, a lifestyle, and a profession that was in line with these ideologies. Heck, I even married based on my faith, choosing a husband who put environmental concerns first in how he lived his life and who also believed in the interconnected web between science, among science, policy, and economics. So now I'm 23 years out from my master's degree, a long time ago, but of course, none of our education ever ends. It's one of the principles of our church. Uh, when we were dating, my now husband uh, shared with me three simple principles to live by. Live small, commute carefully, and eat responsibly. Our first house was small. We've always had energy-efficient cars and often used public transportation, especially for work. We've also generally had a mostly plant-based diet. But although our first house was small, our current house is twice its size. Um, we still eat mostly plant-based foods, but we eat a lot of processed foods and very little organic or local foods, which means that we're contributing to a much larger carbon footprint as our food is sprayed, processed, and shipped. And I've saved the worst for last. We have too many sneeds. I'm sure I'm not alone in this. Um, there's always a sneed that one of us needs, and personally, I think that we're drowning in sneeds as we, mostly me, 
spend too much time cleaning them up, sorting them, finding a place to store them, or determining how to dispose of all of our needs. I feel like our needs are getting in the way of connecting to each other and the environment because of the time we spend acquiring and disposing of stuff, but rarely actually using it. I feel like we could be making better economic choices instead of purchasing needs, but that's a sermon for another time. So I've shared how I was inspired by the Lorax, but lately I feel a little bit more like a Onceler. Nevertheless, as a Onceler, I continue to always carry a truffle seed in my heart and remember that, saying this two more times, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing's going to get better. It's not. And I'm almost done. On that note, Akatink, as a church community, cares so much that the church community is going to take action in this arena. Members of the Social Justice and Green Sanctuary Committees have created a joint task force that will focus on environmental justice and climate change for this entire year. This task force, along with Reverend Pippin, plan to offer sermons, talks, films, book discussions, options for advocacy, a panel discussion, opportunities for youth to participate, and maybe even an art exhibit, and this is my favorite, which is very weird, possibly a field trip to the dump. So basically as something for everyone here, if you're interested in learning more or becoming a better advocate for this arena, information on all of these activities will be coming out in the This Week newsletter and on our website. Please look for them to get involved. This year's activities may be what inspire you to protect our Earth. So in that vein, or to continue to protect our earth, because most of us already are, I think. So in that vein, I'll repeat the great words of Dr. Seuss's The Lorax. Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing's going to get better. No, it's not. Thank you. <laughs>